This is Sunday Night Worship Service here at the Pine Level Pentecost on His Church on this February the 4th, 2024. Tonight's guest speaker, Reverend Timothy Groves. The title is, What is Faith? Here's Brother Mac. Evangelist uh, Timothy Groves, uh, we appreciate you again being here, my brother. Thank you for being here and uh, looking forward to your message tonight. Thank you. God bless you. Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. We were down at... Uh, Beyond the Veil in Laurenburg, North Carolina today. A little Assembly of God Church there with John Walker. And looking forward to tonight. Looking forward to Wednesday night. We're going to continue our, like, kind of doing like a spiritual warfare conference on Wednesday nights. And so Wednesday night we're going to uh, cover Jezebel and Antichrist Part 2. And then I'm going to be here on Valentine's Day. And I'm going to be speaking on the third part of the spiritual warfare conference. And that's a religious spirit. And um, we have the whole conference, all four sessions, with a little bit more teaching on flash drives that uh, most new cars, you can plug a flash drive in and listen to it, audio. Uh, you can also plug them into your laptop computer and uh, download that. So just see Alvin. Alvin, wave at everybody so they know. He's that good-looking guy back there. He's a single pretty Pringle. Single Pringle, hoping to mingle. Uh, find himself a wife. He wants to find a wife. You know, the Bible says, he who findeth a wife... Find it the good thing, amen? So uh, we're, we're hoping to maybe see if we, the Lord opens up a door for him to start negotiations or something while he's on this trip with me. We'll see. But um, uh, he'll, he'll help you out. Those flash drives are $20 each, and that covers all four sessions of the Spiritual Warfare Conference. And don't forget, if you want to help um, support sex trafficking, to stop sex trafficking and helping those victims that are coming out of sex trafficking, uh, just see how uh, we sell the coffee on the table. But tonight I just want to take a few moments to talk about what faith is. What faith is. Have you ever believed God for something? I mean, you were believing God, whether it be for a healing, whether it be for a breakthrough. I mean, you were just, you were confessing and you were believing and it didn't happen. Does that happen to anybody else besides me? Yeah. You know, the Bible says that all the promises of God are yes and amen. In other words, yes, and you can have it, right? But if that's the case, then somewhere it's not on God's end. Somewhere it's probably on my end. Maybe I didn't understand, you know, how to receive something by faith. And so I want to take a few moments to talk about faith because anything that we really receive from God... We're going to receive it by faith, right? Now, probably, I would imagine most of you got the church tonight in a vehicle, right? It transported you from where you were to where you are. So faith is a vehicle that moves the promises of God from his invisible realm into our visible realm. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 tells us to every man, and women are included, Every man has been given the measure of faith. There's only one size of faith. It is the original one size fits all. Amen? It's just enough faith for you to get saved. And when you exercise that faith and receive Jesus as a Savior, your faith starts to grow. What happens when you go to the gym and work out? Besides get sore all over. <laughs> your muscles start to what? grow, right? When you exercise. And what happens when you plant a seed in the ground and activate the seed? It what? It grows, right? So we don't want to be asking God for more faith. 
We want to say, God, will you help me to exercise and activate the faith you've already given to me? Now, the Bible tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if it takes faith to please him, then I guess it takes doubt to displease him, right? Habakkuk said it this way, the just shall live by faith. Folks, faith isn't something we put on like a garment on Sunday morning and then walk around in doubt, disbelief, and despair Monday through Saturday. Come on. We live faith, right? We talk faith. We walk faith. We act faith. We live faith. And if you are a person of faith, you will talk different and you will act different. Amen? Listen, faith doesn't hope so. Faith doesn't think so. Faith isn't maybe so. Faith isn't someday so. Faith isn't somewhere in the sweet by and by so. But faith always is now and faith always knows. Right? Faith is now. What does Hebrews 11.1 1 say? Now faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. So faith is always now. It's not was, it's not will be, but it's right now. You say, yeah, but if that's the case, why is my body still sick? Now see, faith already sees your healing, and faith begins to call forth what it sees. Yeah, but my bills aren't paid. But it's okay. Faith already sees Jehovah Jireh working, and faith just declares what it sees. Amen? See, we have to understand that I don't look at things with the natural eyes. I look at things with the eyes of faith, right? Can I tell you that you're not the sick trying to be well? You are the, wo the well, the healed in Jesus, right? And the devil wants to put sickness on you. You're not the tail trying to be the head. The Bible says you are the head, and the devil wants you to feel like a tail. You're not the victim trying to be the victor. No, you are the victor in Christ Jesus, and the devil wants you to get a victim mentality, amen? So, folks, we don't live by hindsight. We walk by faith, right? What's hindsight? Somebody once said hindsight is always... 2020, right? It's where you've done come through the problem. You turn around and you look and say, should have turned left instead of turning right. A great example of hindsight is Monday morning quarterbacking. Right? I mean, the game was played on Sunday, and Monday morning you talking with the guys, you'd be like, I tell you what, if I was the coach, I'd tell you what play I would have called. Well, you're just saying that because the game's over, Right? And most Christians are going through the problems, going through the struggles, they're worrying, they're, they're fuming, they're fussing, they're, I don't know how we're going to pay it, and I don't know what we're going to do. And then they get through it, God was faithful. And they turn around, and they see that God was faithful, and they're like, man, what was I so worried about? I should have never worried, I should have trusted God, because he's faithful. You know what, the next time I go through something... I ain't going to worry. I'm going to trust God. And then the next time, worry, fear, stress, anxiety. And we could turn around. Oh, he was faithful. See, that's hindsight. That's how most Christians live their whole Christian life is by hindsight. But we walk by faith. That means as I'm going through something and unexpected trouble happens. Anybody have unexpected trouble ever happen to them, huh? Something happens that you weren't expecting. Pow, right there it is. 
you start to decree and declare, you know what, I don't know exactly how this is all going to work out, but what I do know is God is for me and not against me. I know Jesus is never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. He's my healer. He's my deliverer. He's my conqueror. And I'm going to come through this thing. And I'm coming through, like Job said, like gold tried through the fire. All is going to be well. And then when I get to the end and all is well, I don't have to look back with my shoulda, coulda, wouldas, right? Because why? I walked by faith, not by hindsight. Yeah, but what if I don't get healed? But what if I don't get my miracle? But what if my marriage still falls apart? Can I tell you the words, but what if, is not in the vocabulary of faith. It is always in the vocabulary of fear. What's fear? Somebody once said fear, F-E-A-R, stands for false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. But faith, F-A-I-T-H, stands for forsaking all, I trust him. Forsaking all, I trust him. Isn't it funny that so many believers today in the church have more faith in Murphy's Law than God's Word? Huh? What's Murphy's Law? Anything bad going to happen? Going to happen to me. Anything can go wrong? Will go wrong. Isn't it funny? Well, you know, it's flu season. If anybody ever gets the flu, it's me. You better believe it. It's on its way. It's coming right to your door. Well, I heard the plant's closing up. I'll probably be the first one let go. Baby, the pink slip is in the mail as you speak. You are exercising your faith in the wrong thing. See, I don't think we have to twist God's arms for blessing. I think he wants to bless us. But I think he wants us to receive his promises by faith. So if you're here and you're an English teacher, I would tell you this. Faith is a verb. And you would say, yes, because it's an action word. See, faith requires action, amen? So let me real quick share with you four components, four elements, four ingredients that when we mix these four together, we get faith. Because I think sometimes we think faith is just believing. Well, I'm just believing. I'm believing for my healing. I'm believing. But you know what I found out? I found out the demons believe. Are they operating in faith? No. So faith has to be more than believing. So what is faith? Here's your first ingredient. The first ingredient is simply believing. That's a primary ingredient, but it's not the only ingredient. And when I say believing, I'm talking about what Romans 10 says when it says the word of faith was in our heart and in our mouth. See, faith has to be in my heart, but it also has to be in my mouth. See, I can't be believing God for my healing down here if I keep talking my sickness out here. I can't be believing God for financial breakthrough down here if I keep talking my bills up here. I can't be believing God for peace of mind down here if I talk worry up here. Faith has to be in the heart as well as the mouth. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your mouth will tell on you every time. Amen? How many have ever heard people say this? Well, I believe it when I see it. Well, that's kind of silly. You won't need to believe it. You'll know it. When you see it, you won't need to believe. The believing comes in when you can't see it. Besides, how many of you watched a magician, like, make a car disappear or the Statue of Liberty disappear or something? Your eyes saw it, but you didn't believe it. 
You knew that your eyes were playing tricks on you. So even if you do see it, doesn't mean you're going to believe it, right? So it's, no, it's not I'll believe it when I see it. No, I will see it when I start to believe it. So believe, that's our first ingredient. The second ingredient is knowing. Everybody say knowing. First John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. If you only memorize two scriptures a year, you should memorize these two. John says this. He said, this is the confidence that we have in him. Now, who's the him? Jesus. That if we ask anything according to his will, that we know he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then we know we have what we ask for. See that word know three times there? What is John saying? John's not saying, I'm not really sure if this is going to work, guys, but, you know, give it a shot. Let's see. He said, this is is the confidence that we have in him that whatever we ask according to his will he hears us and if he hears us we get it so how many want all your prayers answered well then all you have to do is start asking according to what god's will what is the will of god can i tell you that the will of god is the word of god and the word of god is the will of god in fact, if you'll read it, there's a page in there that should say the last will and testament of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me ask it to you this way. Do you think it's God's will that lost people get saved? Well, how do you know that? Because the Bible says he wishes that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. Do you think healing is God's will? Well, how do we know that? Because the Bible says, by his stripes we're healed. Healing is the children's bread, right? What about peace in mind and joy in our heart? Is that God's will? Well, sure, why? Because the Bible says so. Folks, if it's in the word of God, it's his will. So we don't have to hope so. I can know so. So, and I pray, I pray according to the word of God. And I believe and I know. But faith is more than a believing, it's a knowing. I don't believe my heart is beating I know my heart is beating. So we have a believing, we have a knowing, but there's a third ingredient. It's called being persuaded. Being persuaded. Go to Romans chapter 4. I want you to see a couple verses of scripture. Romans 4, verses 16 to 22. Talking about Abraham, the father of faith, right? Remember him? Abraham. Therefore, verse 16, therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead, and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope in hope believed, so he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Notice this verse. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. Listen, if you want to weaken your faith, keep watching the news. If you want to weaken your faith, keep reading the medical report. If you want to weaken your faith, keep, 
Keep uh, your eye on your financial statement. Keep looking at your bills. If you will keep your eye on the circumstance, I guarantee you it will weaken your faith. Now listen, Abraham was not standing at home looking in the full-length mirror at his wrinkled old prune of a body and then glancing over at Sarah and checking out her wrinkled old prune of a body and say, how are these two prunes going to get together and produce a plum? He was not looking in the natural circumstances. What did he do? Next verse. And be, nope, next verse. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. He strengthened his faith by glorifying God. God, I thank you that you're working all things together for my good. I thank you, God, that you love me and things are coming together even when I can't see it and I can't understand it. But notice the next verse. And being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Now, I was raised in church. I'm a prenatal Pentecostal boy. So I was in church while in mama's womb. So I was in church my whole life. And I was being raised in Sunday school and children's church. And in my mind, I thought when we learned about all these Bible characters, in my mind, I thought they were good little Christian boys and girls who went to Sunday school too. That is not Abraham. Do you understand that Abraham was raised in a home where they worshiped false gods? His daddy was an idol maker. Huh? Abraham is 75 years old before he actually has an encounter with God. Now his wife Sarah is not barren because she's old. She was always barren. She could never have kids even when they were younger. Now, I'll be real careful with what I'm about to say. Because when you get a certain age in life, and I am fast approaching it, when you get a certain age in life, you kind of stop bending for everybody else. Right? You kind of like, hey, this is just how I am. Like me or not. That's why we get the old saying, you can't teach an old dog New tricks, right? Because at a certain age, you're just like, I don't care. I'm just doing my thing. Like, love me or like, don't like me. I don't care, right? So here's Abraham. He's 75. I'm going to say he's probably stuck in his ways. Right? At 75. But he has an encounter with God. And God says, I'm going to bless you so that your descendants are as numerous as the sands of the sea. And my question is, how could a guy like Abraham, stuck in the rut of his own thinking, how could he believe a God that he just met? Would you like to know how? He had a friendship covenant made with God. God said Abraham was his friend. He's the only person in the entire Old Testament that God said he's my friend. Because God made a friendship covenant with Abraham. Now you have to understand what a covenant is. Back in biblical times, if you wanted to, to join forces with the family, maybe your family had certain strengths and somebody else's family had weaknesses where you were strong and they were strong where you were weak, you might want to form a covenant. 
Now, a covenant is not some uh, legal contract that a slick attorney can get you out of. It is a binding agreement by death. So normally what they would do is the people that are entering into the covenant, both parties, would have the terms of the covenant. Basically what you're promising and swearing to do. A, B, C, D kind of a thing, right? Your list. And then they would decide what animals are we going to sacrifice because when we have our covenant ceremony, we're going to have a big barbecue. And we want to have enough food for everybody, right? So they would determine, okay, how many cows, how many goats, how many sheep, what are we going to do? Now, when you entered into the covenant, you would cut the animal in half this way, not this way. Because both covenant partners are going to get a half. And you don't want to be the guy that's stuck with the bad half while the other guy gets the good half. So they would cut the animals in half this way, and then they would spread those animal halves apart, kind of like the, how these pews are. What do you think would flow to the middle? Blood, right? Cut an animal in half, it's going to bleed, right? So blood would flow to the middle. That was called the trail of blood. And both covenant partners, one would stand on this side, one would stand on that side, and each covenant partner would take their turn. And the one would walk the trail of blood, and he would speak the terms of the covenant. I agree to do A, B, C, and D. And then he would stop. The other one would walk the trail of blood, and he would agree to do A, B, C, and D. And he would stop, and now a covenant has been made. And whoever breaks the covenant, we get to do to that guy what we did to these animals. So you're not going to break covenant. You're going to keep covenant. So God tells Abraham in Genesis, he tells him what animals to get and to get them all prepared. And then Abraham falls asleep under a pine tree waiting for God to show up. And the scripture says that God came like a fire and he walked the trail of blood and he spoke the terms of the covenant. He said, I'm going to bless those that bless you. I'm going to curse those that curse you and your descendants will be as numerous as the sands of the sea. Now, Abraham didn't have to do any of that because none of the covenant was based on what he could do. All based on what God's going to do. Another thing that they would sometimes do is they would usually cut their wrist, and they would put something in there, like a twig or a stone, so that there was a mark. Now, when God made a covenant with Moses, they used circumcision, right, as a sign of the covenant. But for a friendship covenant, you would put something on your wrist, and this is where we get the idea of lifting our hand and waving at somebody. Hi, Alvin. How you doing, buddy? Where did that come from? It came from days of covenant. Because if I'm out there working in the field, you know, and you're a stranger, and I don't know who you are, and you think, I don't know, that guy looks a little weak. I think I could knock him out, take his money, and run. And as you approach me, I lift my hand and wave, so you see I have a what? A covenant partner. And my covenant partner is bound by the terms of the covenant that if you're my enemy and you hurt me, he's going to take you out. Got that? So Abraham does all... So we do all of this. This is a covenant. And so now that I understand that Abraham had a friendship covenant with God, I can understand how Abraham could be fully persuaded. Well, goody for Abraham. My question is, how can you and I be fully persuaded? 
How can I be fully persuaded that what God has promised in his word, he's going to come through on? Because at a certain point, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. He said, I call you friends. And then he said, with fervent desire, I have desired to partake of this communion with you. He said, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you. This cup represents the new covenant that I'm making with you. And then he went to the cross, right? He was nailed to the tree. And when Jesus rose from the dead, what wasn't healed? Didn't have enough power? Did God run out of power? No. See, as long as Jesus bears in his mark, his body, the marks, it's a constant reminder he is in covenant with you and I. So every time he looks at his nail prints, his hands that are still wounded, he's reminded, I got to come through. I can't fail these people. I'm in covenant with them. Come on, that's enough to make a dead Methodist want to shout. We can be fully persuaded that what God has promised us in his word, he will fulfill because he is in covenant with us. Amen? Come on. And listen, you can't be double-minded with it, right? Sometimes we're like Sunday morning. Well, I know God's going to do it. Mm, yeah, But by Tuesday night, well, I'm not so sure. I come to church on Wednesday, and oh, he's going to do it. But by Friday, well, I'm not so sure. James says the double-minded man is what? Unstable in all of his ways. Let him not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. So we believe, we know, we are fully persuaded. And here's your last ingredient. Be committed. Be committed. And I'm not talking about a little weekend trip to the psych hospital. Huh? I'm talking about sticking with it. How many know what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6.12? Fight the good fight of faith. Can I tell you, when you're in the fight, you better be committed. Because if you're not, you're going to be on the floor looking up. Now, you may still be on the floor looking up depending who you're fighting, but it's going to be a lot quicker if you're not committed. Amen? Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. He said, lay hold of eternal life. Christianity is not passivity. Faith without works is dead. So i got to stay committed. And my commitment is going to have to be more than three minutes, more than three hours, maybe more than three days, maybe more than three weeks, maybe more than three months. I keep believing I keep knowing, I'm fully persuaded, I'm standing on the promises, and I'm going to hang in there, and I'm going to keep going. But notice he says, faith, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the what? Good fight. Why does he call it a good fight? He calls it a good fight because we win. How many know when your favorite football team or baseball team wins the game, you go, man, that was a good game, Right? And when they lose, you're like, the refs were paid off. I know how this goes. This is all rigged, you know. But when your team wins, it was a good game. And Paul says, faith, it's a good fight. Because if you will use and exercise faith, you will win. But why is it a fight? Because the natural man wants to live by the five senses. And faith wants to live by the word of God. And there is our constant clashing right how many have ever had somebody say to them or maybe you've said it 
Well, I tried that faith thing. It didn't work. Can I tell you, you didn't try faith. Faith tried you and found you wanting. Because you don't try faith. You live faith. So we believe, we know, we're fully persuaded, and we're fully committed. Amen? And, and let me just make a clarification. Because we have some people in the modern faith movement today that have kind of gone off the deep end. Right? To where they deny the circumstance. You know, it's like their arm is broken, the bone is sticking up out of their arm. And you go, oh my, you, you, you broke your arm. No, it's not broken. But, but the bone is sticking out of the, it's not broke. It's healed in Jesus' name. Okay. Listen, faith does not deny the circumstance. Faith denies that the circumstance has the final say. Come on, that's a big difference. I don't deny that cancer exists. I'm just going to deny that cancer is going to have the, the final say. Come on. Let me give you a little truth. You might want to write this down. Because I think if you'll write this statement down and get it in your spirit, you don't ever have to worry about anything ever again. You'd probably pay big money for that, wouldn't you? If I said, here's a pill, pop this pill, and you'll never have to worry about anything again, you pay some money for that if you knew it worked. Well, I'm going to give you something. If you get it in your spirit, it's going to work. Here it is. Never confuse. Never confuse the facts with the truth. Never confuse the facts with the truth. You say, oh, Brother Tim, I tell you, that's deep, brother. That's so deep, I don't get it. <laughs> I thought the facts and the truth were the same thing. No, see, that's where you're mistaken. There was a guy who was in the grave dead for four days. His name was Lazarus. The Bible says he stinketh, <laughs> right? Is he dead? Yes, that's a fact. What happened when truth walked on the scene? Truth changed the facts, right? How about Jarius is getting Jesus to come check out his sick daughter, and before they can get there, people come and say, Jarius, bother the master no longer. Your daughter is dead. Jesus said, Jarius, don't fear. See, the facts will always bring fear. Jesus said, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. So what won out that day? Facts or truth? Truth. So when the doctor says, I'm sorry, but the test results have come back and it says stage three cancer. Your response is, doctor, thank you for telling me the facts. Now I'm going to go home and I'm going to start to speak the truth of Isaiah 53 to my facts until my facts begin to change. Folks, it's not really difficult. We keep decreeing and declaring the truth of God's word. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. And I'm going to keep speaking and keep speaking and keep speaking the word of God to the facts until the facts start to change. Amen? All right. Let me give you just a quick story. And then we'll go into one last scripture and we'll be done. Most of us... We just need what we call a checkup from the neck up. Checkup from the neck up. Because really, really, right here is most of our problem. We're trying to handle our problems like normal people. 
Look at your neighbor and say, you're not normal. You're not normal. Stop trying to be normal. Come on. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're not normal. The Bible says we are a peculiar people. Listen, we don't handle our problems in the world like the rest of the world does. We walk by faith. Amen? Look, the kingdom of God, most of it's a paradox. You want to be great? Be least. Want to be first? Be last. You need something? Give something. It's an upside down thing in the kingdom of God. So we're trying to fit in with normal and doing everything normal. God doesn't want you to live normal. He wants you to be a peculiar people where we exercise and live by faith. So when I was a younger man, I knew I was going to go off to Bible college. And uh, I was living at home. And uh, I was working a job at, my, at this bank. I had a banking job. Now, I didn't have a lot of bills. I was like 22 years old. Didn't have a lot of bills. I had a 1988 Mitsubishi Precis. They don't even make them anymore. I don't know. It might be like a Ford Festiva today. But I had this little car, and it was relatively new. I was making car payments on it. It was like $230 a month that I was making car payments. Because I was in an accident when I was 18... My insurance skyrocketed, and I had to pay $1,600 every six months for car insurance. And then I have a phone line in my bedroom, because I was working with the church's youth group. We had about 70 kids in our youth group. They were always calling, and my mom would pick up the phone, and she'd be like, oh, somebody's on the line. So she said, get your own phone in your own room. I'm tired of having you on the line. So that was about maybe 30 bucks a month. Now, I didn't have a lot of bills, you know I mean, except for putting gas in the car and occasionally going out to eat. I didn't have a lot of bills, but how do you know when you don't have a lot of bills and you have no income? It doesn't matter if you have a lot of bills or, or small amount of bills. When you have no income, it affects you. So I was working at the bank, and, and long story short, they fired me because of my religion. That was a blatant religious discrimination thing. I took it to court, and I won. But they were so vicious, they would not let me collect unemployment. Now, I don't know how unemployment works today. This was the only time that I ever collected but didn't collect. And back then... This is what you had to do. You went around and you put your job application in all these different places. You went to the unemployment office. You grabbed the number. You stood in line for probably about an hour until somebody called your number. You sat down with the worker. They'd ask you, where'd you put applications in? You gave them the litany list of everywhere you put an application. Have you heard anything? Have you got any job offers? No, here's a check. And you did the whole thing over next week. So I did all of that, except when I said, where's my check? They're like, oh, the bank decided they want to fight it and not pay you unemployment. So now I've got literally no income, right? Occasionally I'd get a babysitting job. You know, here's 30 bucks, watch our kid. And I was faithful to make sure I tithed off that. Yeah. So I said to my parents, mom, dad, I feel like, I feel like God has put me in a position where I want to learn how to live by faith. So, you know... Um, don't charge me rent, but don't go shoving $20 bills in my sock drawer or nothing like that. You know, I really want to believe God. And I did. I, I learned to live by faith. And listen, if you're going to be a person of faith, you've got to do what you know is right. See, now I knew going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night was right. So I'd go. And I was in a big church, about 800 people. We had four sets of these pews. One more over there, this one, this one, and one more over there. And this was my seat right here. That was my CS where I sat. And I remember going to church with enough gas to get there, but had no clue how I was going to get home. And I remember one night, church was over, 
And you know how it is. Shake a hand. You know, hug a neck. Greet a neighbor. Well, in a church of 800 people, that takes a little bit. You know what I mean? So me, the social butterfly that I am, I'm running around shaking hands and hugging necks and saying hey to my friends. What I didn't know was somebody came up where my Bible was, opened it up, shoved in a $20 bill, went on their way. Like all sneaky-like. Now, I didn't know it was there. So I go out and get in the car. Church is now over. And I'm like, now, Lord, i got to get home. There's not enough gas to get home. So tell me, what are we doing? Are the angels pushing? Are we stretching and riding on fumes? Just tell me what it is we need to do. And the Lord said, turn to this scripture. So I grabbed my Bible and turned there, and out fell the $20 bill. Now, I didn't know it was there, but he knew it was there. So I just went down the road two blocks and grabbed myself $20 worth of gas. So I was seeing all kinds of stuff like that happening. And so it was a Saturday night, or Saturday morning, and I went to the men's prayer breakfast at church. All the way in, found out it was canceled. Nobody told me. Turned around and went all the way back home. It's a Saturday now. That means tomorrow is Sunday, and i got to go to church twice. So I thought I'd better look at the gas gauge, see where we is. So I looked at the gas needle, and now I tried to always keep the needle fellowshipping with the letter F. But when I looked at it this time, I noticed it was fellowshipping with the letter E. And it was kind of having this really intense, inappropriate relationship with the letter E. I mean, it was at the bottom of the E, if you know what I'm talking about. You know, it's just like, oh, this is not good. And I remember saying, now, Lord, I have $7 in my checkbook. I can go right up here to the little convenience store up the house, get myself $7 worth of gas, or you just tell me what to do, right? Because I can't assume with God. You're going to live by faith, you can't assume. So I went in the house, and I put on my Hosanna Integrity Praise and Worship cassettes. Anybody remember those days? And I was worshiping. It had to be about an hour because I had to flip the tape. You know how it goes. I had to flip the tape halfway through. And I'm just worshiping the Lord and just having a great time in His presence. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me just as clear as you're hearing my voice if you're still awake. He said, Tim, didn't I turn water into wine? I said, yes, Lord, you did. He said, can't I turn water into gasoline? I said, well, you're God. You can do whatever you want. He said, then go do it. And I said, okay. Now, faith, mixed with the fact that I'm a mechanical idiot, have no clue what water will do to your engine. I said, okay, Lord. And I went downstairs, I grabbed the first thing I saw, the kitchen tea kettle, and I started filling it up with water. Now, this is August. I run out to the car, I open up, you know, I had to have a key to open the gas thing, unscrew the cap, I grabbed that funnel with the long hose Dad kept in the garage, shoved it down in there, started pouring the tea kettle of water into my empty gas tank. Ran back in the house, filled up the tea kettle, ran back out, poured it in. Ran back in the house, filled it, now listen, if I was smart, I would have gotten the garden hose. It would have went much faster, but nope. I just kept running back and forth with all these tea kettles of water. And my unsaved brother, who's sitting at the kitchen table, after several trips, he says, what are you doing with all the tea kettles of water? I said, I'm sitting on empty, and God told me to fill my tank with water. He said, you're doing what? I said, my gas tank is sitting on empty, and God told me to fill it with water. 
He's like, you stupid bleepity bleep bleep. Dad is going to bleepity bleep kill you. You have ruined your vehicle. This I got to see. And Brother Mac, he got up and followed me out as I made several more trips. You know how many tea kettles of water it takes to fill the gas tank of an 88 Mitsubishi Priestess? A lot. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. A lot. But listen, when the water started kind of bubbling up, I thought, well, it must be full. So I pulled it out, put the cap on, shut the door, laid my hand on it. I said, now, Father, according to your word, I've obeyed your word. You turned this tank of water into gasoline. And I went in the house with full confidence that come Sunday morning, I'm going to go to church with no problem. Well, I was only in the house about an hour when a friend called and said, hey, we decided to have a cookout up here at Trey Miller's house. Now, Trey Miller lives 30 miles one way. They said, do you have enough gas to get there, Tim? I said, I was just blessed with the whole tank. I can make it. So I grabbed a package of hot dogs and told my brother where I was going. He said, you're never going to go anywhere. He said, I hope you have your AAA card. He says, you're going to be broke down along the road. I'm like, well, you spend your Saturday night the way you want. I'll spend mine the way I want. I went out and hopped in that car. I turned that key. That engine roared to life. I got to the end of the driveway. Guess what happened? Nothing. So I went ahead and got on the road and took the road all the way up to the highway, got on the highway, took the highway up to Trey Miller's exit, got off the exit, went to his house. 30 miles, no problem with the car. Came home 30 miles, no problem with the car. Went Sunday morning, no problem with the car. Came home Sunday afternoon, no problem with the car. Went back Sunday night, no problem with the car. Came back Sunday night, no problem with the car. Drove all week long on a tank full of water. God turned to gas, never had a problem with the car. Had the car for a whole year before I got rid of it to go to Bible college and never had a problem with the car. I'm telling you, God is still in the miracle working business. Can somebody say amen? He wants us to walk and live by faith. Now go to one last scripture, Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, Jesus is having a teaching seminar. He is done teaching. He's now hungry. He's going to a little town called Bethany, about three miles outside Jerusalem. Anybody know who lives in Bethany? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But he's hungry. And he finds out Burger King is closed. McDonald's is remodeling. <laughs> so he does find a what? Fig tree. When he gets to the fig tree, what does he find? No figs. So he what? Curses the tree. He says, let no man ever eat from you again. Now the scripture says that the disciples heard him say it, but saw nothing happen. But another telling of the story in another gospel, it says that immediately the tree died at the roots. Where are the roots? Underground where you can't see. Folks, every time you speak a word in faith, something happens, but it happens first in the realm that you can't see. So he curses the tree goes on his way, spends the night, and we come back the next morning. Now, I love how you can learn what the Bible, you can learn from what the Bible doesn't say, right? 
You can learn from what the Bible doesn't say. Notice the Bible doesn't say, and Jesus began to frantically run around looking for the tree because he wanted to see if the tree was really dead. Doesn't say that, does it? In fact, if it wasn't for Big Mouth Peter, we wouldn't even have this story. But thank God for the apostle of open mouth, insert foot, and chew vigorously. Because Peter's my kind of guy, right? So here's Peter. What's he doing? He's, Rabbi, Master, look! The tree you cursed, it's dead. Notice again what Jesus does not say. Well, no duh, Peter. I mean, aren't you just their sharp tool in the shed box today? Of course, the tree's dead. I'm the son of God. Anything I say goes. This isn't for you. It's just for us divinity folk. Is that what he said? No. He said, Peter, have faith in God. In other words, if you'll just have faith, Peter, you can do the same kind of thing. Now notice the next verse, verse 23. It says this. Jesus says, Behold, I tell you the truth. Oh, great. Jesus has been lying to us the whole time, and now he's fessing up and coming clean, right? No. Anytime you see where he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, or most assuredly, I say unto you, or behold, I tell you the truth. What Jesus is saying is, I'm about to tell you something, that's going to sound so easy, and it's going to sound so simple, that you're going to go, nah, can't be that easy, and you're going to miss it. He says, behold, I tell you the truth, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt where. Why? Because if you doubt here, you spout here. Right? Does not doubt in his heart, but believes the things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, is Jesus truth? Is that scripture true? But see, we have complicated it. It's really not complicated. It really is not complicated. Religion has made it complicated, but it's really not complicated. Jesus says, when you've got mountains that you need to move, you speak to them. You don't ask God to move them for you because he's already empowered you to do it, right? So we speak to it. So when you have a mountain in your life, and I define mountains this way, anything that's causing me great concern and worry. If it's causing me great concern and worry, it's a mountain. Now my mountains may be different from yours, and your mountains may be different from mine. So when I have a mountain in my life, I have to say, now God, is this a mountain that you want me to move by faith or is this a mountain you want me to climb because you want me to you know go through something learn something so I got to distinguish is the mountain something I'm supposed to move by faith or is it a mountain I'm supposed to climb and if God is speaking to me this is a mountain that you need to move by faith then I need to do what speak to it believe in my heart and speak to it now Every time that we talk to our mountains in faith, the devil has to obey the word of the Lord. He has to. But like any good attorney, the devil knows the loophole of the law, right? So let's just picture that this right here, this is your mountain. How many sides of your mountain can you see at one time? One. You can only see what's happening right here, right? You can't see what's going on back here. So when you speak to a mountain... And you start to say stuff like mountain of diabetes. 
I command you, you've got to move. Mountain of depression, in the name of Jesus, you've got to move. Guess what? The devil has to start shoveling. But nobody says what side of the mountain he has to shovel first. So what side do you think he's going to pick to shovel first? The side you can see or the side you can't see? See, he's over here and he's shoveling away, but you don't see anything happening. And some of you, one more shovelful, and light would have broken through, and you would have realized what he was doing, and you would have shouted and got the victory, but instead, you started to spout doubt. Well, I don't think God's ever going to heal me. I don't think it's God's will for this to ever happen. And when we spout doubt, he gets to take everything that he removed and put it back and reinforce it. So do you have some mountains tonight in your life that need to be moved? Would you stand to your feet with me? You may say, well, Tim, I believe that I have believed. I, I think I've known. I think I've been fully persuaded. I think I've been fully committed. I really think I've had all four ingredients of faith, but I still have not seen my promise come to pass. Well, my question would be this. Are you walking in love? Because Galatians says, faith works by love. That means my faith won't work if I'm upset with Sister Bucket Mouth. My faith won't work if I'm harboring on to bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment and walking in strife. Because if I'm doing all that, I'm not walking in love. So my faith isn't going to work. It's going to short circuit. So I've got to get my faith to work. So before we move mountains tonight, I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to pray this prayer out loud. We're just going to ask Jesus to forgive us of any bitterness or resentment, anything like that. Because I want us to get a clean slate so we can move some mountains tonight. Are you ready? Say, Jesus, will you forgive me for any unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, things in my heart that I'm holding on to that I'm not releasing. God, I choose to forgive those who've hurt me, betrayed me, slandered my name, caused me pain. I forgive them and I release the hurt in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you pray that, our hearts are clean and we are now all walking in love, right? So now don't think about other people. Just focus on what we're doing. Don't just slip back into it. We're going to stay in the lane of love. Amen. But where you are right now, just close your eyes. I want you to think, what are the mountains you're facing? Some of you say, well, I don't have a mountain. I have mountain ranges. Okay. Well, think about them for just a moment. What are they? Is it prodigal children that need to come back? Is it a financial hardship that you're facing? Is it a sickness or disease that's gotten a foothold in your body? Is your marriage on the rocks? What is it that you're facing? What's the mountain that's causing you concern and worry? Because you need to get a name for it. Why do we have to have a name? Because everything that has a name is subject to the name of Jesus. So we got to give it a name. So figure out what it is, right where you are, figure out what it is, what's the name of it, get it ready, because on the count of three, I want you to start to speak in faith to your mountain. Now you don't have to shout, you can if it makes you feel good, it's fine, but you can't, you can't say it in your heart, because the mountain cannot read your mind. It is not omniscient, amen?
you got to speak out. So just get the mountain. Figure out if it's a sickness. Don't just say sickness. Name the sickness. Whatever the sickness is, get the name. And on the count of three, I want you to begin to out loud talk to that mountain. Are you ready? One, two, three. Right now, just begin to speak to that mountain. In the name of Jesus, we decree and declare to the mountains in our life, you've got to go. In Jesus' name, we serve you your eviction notice. You mountains of depression, you mountains of oppression, you mountains of sickness and disease, you mountains of marital issues, you mountains of strife. In the name of Jesus, we serve you your eviction notice. You've got to go. You've got to leave. In the name of Jesus, devil, you've got to start shoveling. You've got to start moving that mountain something is happening in a realm right now that you may not be able to see and you may not be able to feel but by faith something is happening because we believe and we know and we're fully persuaded and we're going to stay committed and in the name of Jesus by faith we're hearing a splash we're hearing a splash of the mountain moving we're hearing the sound of chains breaking right now in Jesus name we do not have to stay in sickness and disease. We do not have to stay in depression. We do not have to stay in poverty. He has provided for us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We can receive the promises of God because they are yes and amen. And we access those promises right now by faith. So we speak to mountains and say, in Jesus' name, you've got to go. You've got to go in the name of Jesus. Are you talking out loud to your mountain? Are you talking out loud to your mountain? When you're done talking to your mountain, I just want you to begin to thank God as if the mountain has moved because by faith, it's already moving. It's already moving by faith. Doesn't matter what you feel. Doesn't matter what you see. That mountain is already moving by faith in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And tomorrow when you wake up, if you still see that mountain... What are you going to do? Tell it to move again? No, you already told it to move. You don't need to tell that same mountain to move again. Now, you may have a different mountain tomorrow, and that one you may have to talk to. But the mountain that you're talking to today, when you speak to it in faith, you don't have to keep speaking to it, right? It's like if my kid comes to me on Monday and says, Dad, I need a new pair of shoes. And I say, okay, bud, we're going to go Saturday and get you a new pair of shoes. And then he comes to me on Tuesday and says, Dad, I need a new pair of shoes. Yes, son. We're going to go on Saturday and get you a new pair of shoes. And on Wednesday, Dad, I need a new pair of shoes. Yes, son. And we're going to go on Saturday. And on Thursday, Dad, guess what Dad's going to do? Dad's going to get pretty irritated now because I said we're going to do this on when? Saturday. So when the mountain may still be looming tomorrow... I don't have to say, now mountain, you move. Why? Because faith already moved it. Tomorrow I just say, God, I thank you that my mountain's moving. God, I thank you that you're working it together. I don't have to see it to know it's happening. I don't have to see results. I just know by faith you are taking care of it. See, and I begin to thank him. That's the giving glory unto God, and it strengthens your faith. And if something new rises up, well, then talk to that new thing. Are you catching what I'm saying? Are you picking up what I'm putting down, as young people like to say, huh? This is how we start to move our mountains by faith.
And I didn't want you to come forward and lay hands upon you because I don't want anybody to think, well, it's the evangelist laid his hands on me and that's why my mountain moved. No. God didn't say he had the big time evangelist lay his hands upon you. He said, you move it. You move it. And I'll tell you, the first mountain to move is probably going to be your toughest. Why? Because once you learned how to move this one, you won't fear the next one. Right? I mean, if you've baked a thousand cakes and somebody says, hey, we need a quick cake made. Okay, what's one more? I've done baked a thousand. I know how this is done, right? There's not going to be a fear to do it because you've already done it so many times. So the devil knows the more that you keep doing this, you're not going to fear the mountains. So he may shovel a very, very small amount, but he's going to obey the word of the Lord. And he's going to hope that you get discouraged. He's going to hope that you let doubt fill your heart so that you'll spout it out your mouth and he can reinforce it. Nope. If you've got to do duct tape ministry over here, just do duct tape ministry. If you've got to tape your mouth shut, tape your mouth shut. Come on, there was a time where I had to get up in the morning and put a piece of tape over my mouth, and that's no joke. My wife would tell you that. I had to put a piece of tape over my mouth because I didn't want to say a bunch of stuff that would come back to haunt me. So we're going to speak to the mountain, and now we're going to, God, I thank you. I thank you that my mountain's moving. Are you glad that your mountain's moving? Would you just give the Lord some praise? Father, thank you so much for moving mountains. Thank you so much, God, for your word, because your word is truth, and we cling to your word, and we love your word, and we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brother Mac. The Pine Level, Pentecostal Witness Church Incorporated, copyright 2024.